Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss here with you. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. We're honored to have you on board with us today. And I tell you, it's been uh, quite an interesting week in Washington, D.C. Finally, finally, Congress actually showed up. We had at least some sense of a session uh, in Congress, although uh, obviously it was extremely unusual with all the social distancing and the cleaning that was taking place and the inability for us really to, to meet. But nonetheless, in spite of all of that, we were able to have some uh, debate on the floor and at least some degree of uh, uh, being in congressional session. We had two votes yesterday, and that was the reason we uh, were called back to Washington. One was uh, a pet project, if you will, from Speaker Pelosi, where she's trying to put a special counsel together to go after the president again to investigate him on his response to the coronavirus. It's an oversight uh, committee, select committee that she is putting together. And the second vote that we had was on additional funding for the coronavirus relief program and particularly the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, but interestingly, throughout the entire process, there have been zero amendments allowed. So here you have elected members of Congress from all over the country. Our purpose is to represent our district. Our purpose is to offer amendments, to have debate, to have dialogue, to try to improve uh, uh, different bills as they are coming and going. But none of that was allowed. In fact, all we were allowed was to give a thumbs up or thumbs down to the uh, various bills that uh, were presented to us. And here to break all of that down for us is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs. Andy, thank you so much. As always, an honor to have you back on the podcast with us. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate the, the great effort you do to get the message out there. And uh, it's always good to chat with you, uh, whether it's in podcast or in person. Well, you know, let's let's talk about this whole process yesterday. Of course, it's been weeks since we've even been in Washington. We've had multiple conference calls every day. In fact, I know there's been some days I've had as many as six conference calls back to back to back kind of a thing. And most of those last for about an hour or so. So there's at, you know, there's no question that there's been no absence of communication and talk during this downtime of the virus. But we finally actually went back to D.C., but, you know, it seems to me we went back to D.C. to do nothing but to give a thumbs up or thumbs down on a Democratic bill. Uh, so, so talk to our listeners, Andy, a little bit about why Speaker Pelosi really is violating the tradition of the House to allow us to have debates, to offer amendments and all that sort of thing. Uh, what is the problem? What is broken? Uh, what, what is your picture of what took place yesterday. Well, Jody, what's been going on is um, Nancy Pelosi is uh, using what I call the, the Saul Alinsky Rahm Emanuel school of of uh, don't let a, a two points, don't let a, a crisis go to waste, and uh, your enemy is always your enemy. That's Saul Alinsky and Rahm Emanuel, basically their teachings. And what's happened is uh, Nancy Pelosi has managed to. Um, basically unplug us, un unplug everybody in Congress, um, and, and basically control the, the, the debate uh, and the negotiations. So you and I were sitting at home doing constituent work, 
and being briefed through conference calls, while Nancy Pelosi is having calls with, uh, whether it's uh, Senator McConnell or uh, Secretary Mnuchin, and she's negotiating these things. And they pop them out so that uh, I had two amendments that had been drafted. I know that Warren Davidson had a couple of amendments, Chip Roy had a couple of amendments, and some others in the Freedom Caucus were, were working on ideas uh, for amendments as well. But she has t- hijacked the, the, not only the, the, the body itself, but the process. And she is basic, she is, she's kind of in a way, um, put her, her entire conference behind her and our, and our conference behind. And she is the one up front doing everything. And so you don't get to have debate. You don't get to have amendments. Um, and you're just having a few spe- floor speeches and away you go. And so it's all, to, even the floor speeches end up just being nothing other than show. If at the end of the day, all that we're going to be allowed to do is give a thumbs up or thumbs down vote on a bill, uh, then everything else is just show when we're down on the floor giving a debate. As you mentioned, uh, there were several several people, several within the Freedom Caucus who had amendments, yourself included. You mentioned Chip Roy and Warren Davidson. Uh, and none of those amendments were allowed. Uh, you, you in particular, had one that was of uh, great interest to me. We have uh, the surveillance of American citizens taking place and contact tracing in particular. Many of our listeners may not be aware of what contact tracing is. Uh, why don't you begin just by explaining what contract tracing is and how it is intertwined in some of the, the bills and the discussions on the floor this past week? Yeah, uh, the reality of contact tracing is uh, typically if, if you go into a doctor and you have a highly contagious disease, your doctor would uh, notify the health department. And that's a standard protocol, and, and they were trying to find out who you might have been co- contacting with while you were symptomatic. Because this has been an outbreak, uh, the uh, places like Google, have said, and Apple, they're working together, use your iPhone, use your Android, uh, to say, we can track everybody. We know where everybody is and who they're coming in contact with because we can uh, track them. And they want to trace you and then provide that information to government, whether you're uh, sick or not. This is such an overwhelming, overarching uh, way to spy on Americans. And all without, without to the consent of the American citizens. That's exactly right. No warrants, no. So consent. let me let me understand this, uh, Andy. So there's not a, an opt in to this. It's not that you go on your phone, or is there that you have to opt into this program, no. or it's just automatically they're tracing you. Well, they, they're tracing you. So when we've had hearings in Judiciary Committee, we had the head of Google there, and um, one of our colleagues who's not, who who has left now, but was really pressing them on it, and and. And said, look, you know, you can trace me now. My phone is off, but you can trace me. And uh, the guy had to admit that that's true. They can track you without with your phone being off even. And so so that, there is no consent, no opt-in. And in this bill that passed yesterday, $12 billion going to jurisdictions with the authorization to surveil or contact trace uh, American people without warrant, without consent. Wow. And so this is all within the context, as I understand it, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, within the context of the coronavirus. So if if you, uh, for instance, come down with the virus, 
they would be able to trace your contacts over the last 14 years, or I mean 14 days, and wherever you came in close contact with other cell phones, then there would be a message sent to those cell phones saying you've been exposed or you've been close to someone with the virus. Is that how this works? Well, Jody, that's part of the problem with the bill. It, ostensibly, that's how it works. But there is there was no guidelines, no guidance, no no uh, uh, rules. Uh, no one has to establish rules. No one has to. There, there was no. There was just nothing on there. It just said surveil and contact trace. And if that's the case, then uh, some of your uh, jurisdictions. I'm thinking of California, perhaps maybe New York. Some of the others that have really become. Uh, an Oregon which has been very, very draconian in how they've approached this. Uh, and when they want to prosecute people, they want to turn off the utilities of people who don't stay in their homes and they want to put them in jail. Uh, they'll let murderers out, but they're going to put you in jail for, for uh, leaving your home during the coronavirus outbreak. And the, the reality is they can use this because there's no guidelines there. There's no wow. guidance there. And that's they can overstep their bounds like they have up so many constitutional rights over the last uh, few weeks here. Yeah, you know, this type of thing is so frightening. It's such an infringement on our civil liberties. And that type of uh, frightful behavior from our government seems to increase whenever there is a crisis. We had Senator DeMint on with us last week on the podcast, and and this conversation came up in, in light of the coronavirus pandemic that we're dealing with, on the one side, you certainly want to take measures to protect the safety of the American people, uh, and we certainly have done that. But in that process, there is the threat, there is the potential of government overreaching their uh, measures, their steps to try to safeguard the American people. And in the process of trying to do that, civil liberties are attacked and broken down. So uh, how do we do this? How do we maintain a balance between trying to protect the safety of the American people while at the same time not destroying or infringing our civil liberties that we have guaranteed us in the Constitution? Well, Jody, first of all, you're absolutely right. So when I gave my floor speech yesterday, I was talking about these things. I submitted with my floor speech, you have to always turn your Teaching, I, I submitted 11 pages of civil rights violations um, that my staff and I have been putting together as we go, and, and we added another several pages just that had been reported out yesterday. So this is widespread. But the, but the balance is you have, to, you have to defer to rights first. I mean, that is that has historically been how we've done it. We're not doing it at this time. But historically, you defer to rights first. And then you have, have to have some kind of absolute rational basis for, for the state taking away or, or curbing that right. And it has to be done in the least restrictive alternative. It has to be very narrowly tailored for a specific instance. And you can't, you can't treat anybody similarly situated differently. So, for instance, when you say we're going to have um, certain stores are going to be essential and open up, but, but religious institutions and others, uh, other retail uh, stores are, are going to be non-essential and can't open up. You have now uh, done a broad, overly broad, in my opinion, uh, application of, uh, of a kind of a, a curtailing of the rights. So 
we have really overstepped the bounds. We should have done this. Should have been done narr- very narrowly tailored. Um, we should have done perhaps what Sweden or what Taiwan or what Japan and others have done, and that is said, okay, we know who the vulnerable populations are. Uh, we know those who treat the vulnerable populations, and we don't want them filtering in uh, the, this virus. And so we're going to ask everyone to uh, in these vulnerable po- populations to stay in. Uh, but you can't mandate. That's part of the problem, Jody, is you can't mandate these things. Not in a free society. Um, not in a free society. And, and, we, and we have seen mandates with no uh, uh, legislative uh, authorization. And I've been kind of surprised that we haven't seen more lawsuits go forward questioning. And I think as this develops, you'll see more lawsuits going in about constitutionality of, the, of this. Well, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the protests that are taking place now are really the precursor of potential lawsuits that are going to be coming. The draconian acts of some of these uh, governors and uh, county leaders, city leaders, ha- has just been really unbelievable to watch uh, from every perspective. So let's just kind of transition into that. President Trump has unveiled his three-stage process, if you will, to reopen the economy. And fortunately, in my opinion, uh, that includes uh, federalism, uh, allowing governors and state leaders to make those decisions. Obviously, uh, we are United States, and those states have the freedom to uh, make decisions on their own. And I'm glad to see at least some of that taking place in the in the process that's unfolding from the president. Uh, right here, my own state of Georgia, of course, our governor, Governor uh, Kemp, is taking a lot of heat. Uh, we are uh, beginning to open our economy today, in fact, here in Georgia, and uh, he's taking a lot of heat for that. Uh, but at the same time, Georgia is not New York. You know, what has happened in New York in the severity of the outbreak of this thing has not been anywhere near that in Georgia, and you do take a data-driven approach to opening the economy, like you just mentioned, you protect those who are most vulnerable, but then you begin opening the doors for the others to step back in, uh, uh, step up to the plate and get going. What do you think of the president's plan overall, and how do you uh, foresee this unfolding? Well, I I, there's some aspects of it I really like. I mean, I do like what you mentioned, which is the federalism. I think that's really important to let the states uh, determine uh, where they need to be. Uh, and then I think the second thing is uh, where he's talking about, uh, you know, you really want to protect the health of some folks, the vulnerable people, but you need to get this open. I think those are some great ideas, uh, the things that you mentioned. Uh, I, I, I would say I applaud uh, Governor Kemp. I mean, I know he's going to say he you will take heat constantly as you try to open the economy. I, I get, and I'm sure you do. When I, when I've been talking about this for, for weeks now, you have to open up the economy because there are so many social pathologies and problems that come with the kind of, type of quarantine, shelter in place, and economic devastation that we've seen. And those, so you, one of the things that we've been keeping track in my office is what's the suicide rate? What are, what are the calls? We, we saw, um, uh, one state has indicated they've got a, I can't remember how many thousands percentage points in calls to suicide hotline. These things happen, drugs and, and domestic violence and child abuse, etc., uh, because of the economic stress and the uh, uh, failure to be able to move. And so 
when the president said, let's open it up, I'm all for that. Let's open it up. I think it should have already been open. Each state should be doing it. Each governor should be making these calls. That's why they're elected governors. They are sovereign states. Um, and unless it's specifically set forth in the United States Constitution as authority with the, the federal government, then it is the uh, within the purview of the states. And that is where uh, they need to make the decisions. They know far better. And I, I sometimes feel like we've, we've seen an application of, of policy that might be necessary in New York City being applied to um, the great openness of this nation from sea to shining sea, where uh, Georgia is different, Arizona is different, Texas is different, Colorado is different. By the way, Jared Polis, who served with you and I in Congress, is very uh, uh, liberal. Uh, is the governor of Colorado, and he's opening up Colorado. You're doing the so, same thing Governor Kemp is doing and taking no heat yeah. for it because he's a liberal. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah, no, you're right, Jody. So, so I think I think that I, I'm always concerned because we see some there's so much uh, conflicting information that gets floated around out there in these types of things. But I, I trust that the governors and, and uh will do the right things by their state. And if they're not, if they're abusing the rights, the Department of Justice needs to step in and say, uh, you, you've overstepped your, your, your boundaries. And so Bill Barr said that this week, that he's going to be going after some of these guys for overstepping their, their bounds, and I'm all for that. I'm, I'm all for that as well. You know, and, and I know our time is beginning to wrap up here, Andy, but, um, you know, I look at uh, the, the, the place we find ourselves as a nation who would ever have imagined that we would be looking at a shutdown like we have watched? And I think, unfortunately, much of it was unnecessary. Uh, you look back now, all the models, all the models. In fact, I wrote an op-ed about this this week. All the models were horribly wrong. And we took that information as truth, made decisions based upon those models. And, I mean, we were going to have over 2 million people die in America uh, we've barely had two million people globally even contract this thing, let alone die. It's, uh, and yet we took that information as a nation. We made decisions. I saw a uh, an interview with Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, former Freedom Caucus member. Uh, just yesterday, the projections were that there would be four hundred and sixty-four thousand people in Florida in the hospitals. And DeSantis yeah. was on an, an interview, and they only have 2,200 in hospitals throughout the entire state of Florida. And what, what his whole argument was, you don't have to be draconian in dealing with this. You look at the most vulnerable, and you make policies to deal with them. He said, we, and he went down a whole litany of things that they did to protect senior citizens and those in nursing homes and this, that, and the other. And they have pretty much eradicated, at least uh, for the most part, the threat of this thing because they protected, they put walls around those who were most vulnerable and the rest of the state. I mean, they're opening up as well and getting going. And uh, I applaud him and uh, Governor Kemp and others who were doing this. Uh, any any closing uh, comments with uh, as we wrap up here, Andy, uh, what you would like to just uh, land the plane with us on? Yeah. Well, I would say, Jody, it is easy for people to become cynical or pessimistic or depressed in, in the environment, economically, physically, abuse uh, of civil and uh, constitutional rights. But I, I would just say that I'm optimistic for the American people. When I see when I see the protest people coming out, and I and uh, even though the left 
starts castigating them, and, and even some on our side say, oh, yes, they're not responsible enough to be left outside. I say to myself, it is the people who govern in this country. This country is a Republican form of government where any authority we have, we don't have power, Jody, as elected officials. We have authority to act, delegated to us through the Constitution and by way of, by operation of election to office by people. And that's who, who governs. We are not a Soviet state. And I get optimistic when I, when I think that people care enough and they're responding. And uh, I think it's just a, a, an early beginnings to a movement that's going to say you have to really open it up and respect our rights and let us work. And I, and that is reason for, and call for optimism. Uh, it's going to be a long time coming, I think, to, to uh, get the, the economic train back on the tracks and to uh, bring back all the rights that I've seen eroded since this began. But you know what? I'm, I believe in the American people. They're great, ingenious, wonderful, creative. And as we begin exercising faith in each other and in God, we'll come back. Andy Biggs, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, always a great honor to have you on the podcast with us. I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. It is the consent of the governed that has the final voice in this country, and we've got to make sure it stays that way. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jody. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. All right, folks, listen, that's all the time we have for this episode. I want to, again, thank you for joining us. I would encourage you to rate and subscribe, review this program. You can do so on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, and we appreciate uh, all your comments in that regard. Uh, and also, you can follow the Freedom Caucus on Facebook at uh, Freedom Caucus, uh, Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus. Also on Twitter, simply at Freedom Caucus. So until next time, hope you have a fantastic remainder of your day. We'll see you next time.